0: This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. At the top of this hour, the
1: latest on the case of Charlie Gard, uh, this British infant who has been at the center of a case that's uh, attracted international attention. Uh, Charlie Gard is tragically nearing the end of his life. Uh, His parents were hoping to bring him home from hospital to die at home. They agreed to have him transferred uh, to a hospice rather than uh, to home. There was some concern that uh, bringing him home might cause him more suffering, uh, that at a hospice, some of those issues can be addressed. It's a heartbreaking case. Uh, Charlie Gard, uh, was 11 months old, was born with a rare genetic disease, myco- uh, mitochondrial depletion syndrome. It's known as MDDS. It's fatal. It's irreversible. And that's what the courts have found. The parents wanted to take him to the U.S. to try some experimental treatment. Medical experts testified that doing so would likely cause him more suffering and that there is no treatment for this. For a number of reasons. I think that the question of parental rights, the question of the government having a say or governments even overruling parents, That's made it a big issue. I think certainly as the United States debates health care, some maybe see this as an example of government-run health care, the harshness of government-run health care. The bureaucrats need to make decisions like this. These kinds of issues have become a part of the conversation. But it seems at the end of it, really at the heart of this, it's about uh, the medical establishment, or at least in this case, the people responsible for trying to care for Charlie Gard versus the parents. The parents want to try to save their child, understandably so. On the other side, though, the doctors and the experts are looking at the evidence. What this child's suffering from, what keeping him alive is going to cause him. Does it make sense to try to keep somebody alive when there really is no hope for addressing the condition and when it's likely to cause more suffering? Does it make sense to cause the child more suffering? And if allowing him to die alleviates the suffering, is that the right course of action? So some very, very difficult questions here. Joining us for some thoughts, please to welcome to the program, Arthur Schaefer, founding director of the Center for Professional and Applied Ethics at the University of Manitoba. Professor Schaefer, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program.
2: Nice to be with you, Rob
1: uh, I suppose I mean in some ways we 've had uh, similar debates in Canada involving parents and terminally ill children and these these kind of court battles. What stands out to you about the Charlie guard case
2: Well, uh, in some ways, it follows a familiar pattern um, in some ways, perhaps it 's a bit different. Um, maybe it would be worth saying right off the top, Rob, what the position is in Canada. And the position is very similar in in Britain and America. So uh, you get, if you're a competent adult, you get to decide what treatments you're willing to accept, what uh, you negotiate with the doctors, what they're willing to do. Uh, But you're the ultimate decision maker if you're a competent adult. When we're dealing with uh, children, especially young children, and Charlie Gard uh... won't live to his first birthday on august the fourth um, clearly uh... babies and very young children aren't competent to make decisions for themselves so the default position is uh... the parents get to make or parents or guardians get to make the medical decisions for their uh children the doctors uh Usually engage, they inform the parents of what the options are, they engage in discussions. In the overwhelming majority of cases, the doctors and the parents can agree about what's in the best interests of the child. Especially if it's a, if it's a baby who can't participate himself or herself. So, 98% of the cases, doctors and parents together participate in the decision-making and reach a consensus decision. Where they disagree, uh, normally we go with the wishes of the parents, but there's a caveat, uh, an exception. Um, If the parents make a decision that the doctors regard as completely unreasonable or completely unloving, then the doctors can go to court and ask the courts to intervene. Or if the doctors refuse a treatment that the parents regard as beneficial to the child, the parents can go to court and ask the court to uh, order the gar- the doctors to do the treatment. Now, in this case, I think there was no doubt that Charlie's parents were loving, right. and committed to his well-being. Uh, but the doctors said there's no hope that the child can, the baby can be successfully treated, and the baby is suffering, and if we continue to prolong the baby's life in the intensive care unit, we'll sim- we won't be prolonging the baby's life. We'll be prolonging the baby's dying and suffering. And the parents accepted that life shouldn't be prolonged if, it, if what you were, if all you were doing was prolonging dying. But they took encouragement from, uh, primarily from uh, an American professor of neurology, uh, Michio uh, Hirano, and also some Italian doctors who said, we can treat your baby and the baby will have at least a 10% chance of improving, recovering, uh, being restored to uh, good health. So the, the, Parents were, uh, and that often happens too, and it's happened in Canadian cases. There's there's a doctor somewhere, or there's a, a Mexican clinic, or there's some place that's willing to take the parents' money uh, to uh, and offer and offer hope. We discovered just within the last few days that uh, uh, Michio Hirano. Uh, hadn't looked at the medical notes and hadn't looked at the brain scans when he encouraged the parents to think. So yeah. it can be a kind of cruel hoax. And, of course, he has a financial interest in the treatment that he's trying to push, NBT. And so he's also got a lot of free worldwide publicity for this uh, treatment for mitochondrial depletion disease. Uh, without wanting to be cynical, uh, it's easy to exploit uh, Parents that they 're most vulnerable they 're most anxious they 're most desperate, and uh, there 's never a shortage of um, con men or people to sell them hope. The Great Ormond Street Hospital doctors said uh, there is no hope, although they did invite Michio Tiherrano to come, they invited him back in December uh, to see the patient he didn't come until just recently, and to look at all the data and to explain why he thought he had a potential treatment. thought that the hospital didn't want the baby to recover. They were, they were as as, you know, as keen as anyone could be. Uh, it's just that there was no evidence that the baby could be helped, and lots of evidence that the baby was increasingly suffering.
1: Right, and that's a key point. The suffering, if you're going to exacerbate the child's suffering, that's not something you can easily overlook. If it could be found that the child was not in pain or not suffering, it would be a different story, wouldn't it? You could take a gamble on a on a far-fetched, uh, long-shot kind of treatment.
2: I suppose, although, um, I mean, parents can lose their life savings. Uh, we've got had several prominent Canadian cases where families have believed that um, a quack clinics in uh, Mexico, for example, would provide a, a cure for their uh, daughters who were dying of leukemia and uh, families willing to spend fifteen, twenty thousand dollars 20000 which they can ill afford uh, for what is essentially uh, exploitative quack medicine. So uh, do they have nothing to lose? Well, they have an opportunity to have a quiet, dignified uh, death at home as opposed to flying across the continent and spending a lot of money. Um, But I can certainly, I mean, all of us can understand how desperate parents might grasp at at any straw.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. And um, you know, I, who knows, I maybe would do the same thing. Maybe, uh, any of us would, it's, it's hard to imagine being in that position. But, uh, as you say, I mean, the courts can't just say, well, you're the parents, you get the final word. They need to consider the best interests of the child.
2: Well, the parents wanted to uh, take the baby and the hospital uh, to and fly it to the states, and, and the hospital doctors uh, intervened. They, they, they took the case to court because they said this is going to be harmful to the baby. In the case, there were several court hearings, and in every one of them, the courts agreed with the doctors. Now, one of the things that happened in this case that doesn't usually happen, I and mean, the other elements are sort of fairly standard, standard, as in, in that tiny minority of cases, it's often the case that the parents are desperate and uh, uh, get into a court battle with the doctors, and often there's some exploitative medical or, or pseudo-quasi-medical uh, clinic or individual in the background ready to make money. But one of the things that was different in this case is that the Pope intervened, and there were angry crowds outside the courtroom uh, denouncing the judge and the doctors as being heartless. I, I think that's pretty rough. I think that the judge and the physicians were as emotionally committed. It wasn't a case of reason against emotion. Everybody was emotionally invested in doing what's best for Charlie. It's a matter of, of, of what's the evidence that... One course or another will best promote Charlie's um, Charlie's interest, and right. uh, his brain damage was judged to be irreversible by the hospital doctors. And boy, there were second and third opinions, and even physicians brought in by the by the parents ended up agreeing with the Great Ormond Street Hospital doctors. So really, it wasn't a medical controversy. It was um, it
1: was uh, I guess, just an, an, an emotional outpouring. Well, and, and I mean, we've seen other cases where, you know, we, we have the parents wanting to try one treatment and, and the medical establishment saying, well, this is the accepted course of treatment or this is the more proven treatment. So it's sort of treatment versus treatment. In this case, it's treatment versus allowing the child to die. And I think some people look at it in the sense of, well, isn't our goal to prevent death? Isn't our goal to keep people from dying? But that's not necessarily the case, is it? Well, uh,
2: the doctors believed that quality of life really mattered and that uh, given the irreversible brain damage, and uh, Charlie Gard was also deaf and blind and had seizures and minimal consciousness except perhaps for pain, distress, and discomfort. Um, Given all of that, they thought it was best for him. It's not the case that the parents had a different philosophical view. These were not parents who said every extra moment of life, no matter what its quality, is precious. There are some people who on religious grounds think that uh, if you can get blood into a vein, if you can get chemo into a body, if you can... Um, do any continue to use intensive care, no matter what the quality of life? Even if the patient is suffering, to live to live is always better than to die. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case with uh, Charlie Guard's parents. They, when they were finally persuaded that Charlie's quality of life could only be dreadful, they uh, they accepted the um, the view that he should be uh, should come home to die.
1: Right, and, and it, the, yeah. the controversy
2: was about whether there was a real chance, and and the doctor said the the only the only thing medical treatment can do is keep Charlie comfortable, and the only realistic goal. And uh, a doctor who had neither seen Charlie nor looked at, nor apparently looked at the record of the scans uh, held out hope for the parents, which I think made it into a kind of um, cruel charade.
1: Right, so in this instance, I mean, the the authorities, whether that be the the courts or or the doctors, just kind of an all encompassing term, but they, they did what they had to do.
2: They did. Uh, if there were alternative therapies um, that gave some hope, listen, doctors are not always right, and um, if the if the, if the uh, if you could make at least a reasonable case that the best interests of the of the child were being defended by the parents in seeking a different kind of treatment then i think uh uh the doctors should have lost and the parents wishes should have been respected and in some cases you know what the doctors are offering what the in some cases what the doctors are offering has such a low probability of success that when the parents refuse it I think we should go, mostly we should go along with the parents' wishes if they're loving and reasonable. It's only when they're clearly unloving or wildly unreasonable that uh, the court should step in. By the way, the state had no role in this, unless you consider the courts as a, medium of adjudication to be the state i mean the government didn't do anything government no. bureaucrats didn't do anything there was there the the physicians acted on their best judgment as to what was best for charlie the parents disagreed and they couldn't reach consensus doctors and parents and so the case in britain as it would have happened here and as it has happened here and other similar cases case went to court and the courts uh, decided that um all the evidence was that uh, charlie couldn't benefit from being flown to america
1: yeah well it's certainly a tragic story that much is for sure arthur appreciate the insight as always thanks so much for joining us here today
2: Nice talking
1: with you, Rob. Much appreciated. Take care. Arthur Schaefer at the University of Manitoba. He is uh, founding director of the Center for Professional and Applied Ethics. So his case, his thoughts on this case uh, and some of these broader issues. The heartbreaking story, no doubt about it. But, I mean, it was always a fatal diagnosis. And what's in the child's best interest at this point? Anything that's going to cause him more suffering doesn't seem to be. So it's pretty clear in this case, given the condition Given all the medical evidence. I mean, it calls to mind. Remember, there was the case of that 11 uh, year old Michaela Salt, an Aboriginal girl from Ontario suffering from leukemia. The doctors said, look, the best course of action here is chemotherapy. She's got a fairly decent chance of survival through chemotherapy. The Barons didn't want to do that. And in fact, even apparently Michaela said she didn't. And so, 11 years old, is that enough that? She can make any kind of reasonable decisions regarding her treatment. The parents want this to be a certain way. Now, cultural issues come into play. They ended up taking that girl to a so-called alternative clinic in Florida against the, the best medical judgment in Ontario, and uh, she later died. I mean, that, that's the case that, that calls to mind some of these, these struggles between medical authorities and parents. Because parents are the ones who make medical decisions for their children. Children can't make those decisions on their own. At a certain point, they can, and it calls to mind other cases involving teenagers. There was the one from Calgary, I forget her name now. The Jehovah's Witness, who didn't want to get a blood transfusion, was she old enough to make that decision? I mean, in Charlie's case, 11 months old. Obviously, suffering from, from this genetic disease. Parents, understandably, don't want him to die. But all the medical evidence suggests that that's inevitable, that there is no cure, there is no reversing any of this. So, last word, the decision was made, he was going to be transferred from hospital to a hospice, Your life support would be removed. Um, so it's probably a matter of hours uh, before this young boy succumbs, and, and it's a tragedy, no doubt about it. Our number here, 403-974-TALK, 974-8255. We are back with more right after this.
0: Good afternoon, Dave Roa. Kind of feeling like I have died and gone to heaven here. Well, actually, I just went up to Missioner Allen auctions, but uh, close to heaven for a classic car guy like me because this weekend, Saturday, it is going to be their annual classic car auction. The auction is slated to take place about three o'clock uh, after their regular auction. But now is the time that you want to be coming up to Missioner Allen. Just take Deerfoot Trail up to Stony Trail and then uh, hang a ride on Métis and drive toward the big white tents. And this is when you want to come in, like I say, and do your inspection. They've got viewing of the cars. Uh, more are coming in as we speak. They're all going to be here tomorrow night. But what you want to do if you're a serious car guy, you want to come in, you want to write down VIN numbers. You want to see, is the car really what it is as advertised? You want to check condition. What are the accessories? What are the options on this car? If you're a first-time collector car buyer, you want to come down, check these things out, maybe find something you're interested in, and do a little research. Find out what it is going to hammer down for on sale. Saturday the Missioner Allen Classic Car Auction. It's coming up Saturday about three o'clock. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at twelve thirty on News Talk seven seventy Calgary.